Uh, Open your Bibles to the book of Titus. We have the privilege this morning of publicly recognizing and appointing an Edgewood member to the office and ministry of elder. Fortunately, as we go through this passage of Scripture, I can easily address you and easily address Mike because this is one Sunday where he chose to sit on the floor rather than hiding in the back. So thanks for that courtesy, Mike. I appreciate it. Titus uh, chapter 1. We're going to pick up at verse 5 and read verses 5 through 9. Paul says to Titus, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. If any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, or that may be having children who are faithful, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not, le- uh, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. This is God's word. Bow with me in prayer. Father, give us understanding as to how it is that you have provided for your church and the way that you have ordered your church for our good according to your grace and mercy that has been purchased for us by Jesus Christ and is distributed to us by the work of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for all that you have done for us. Amen. As I said earlier, what I'm going to try to do is walk through just a, uh, maybe two or, th- uh, two or three, let's say three points or three observations in this passage, uh, using it, one, as a way to help us as a church body understand the significance of the role and office of elder and, of course, the ministry that accompanies that office, and then also to use those very things as opportunities to then speak directly to Mike to press in on the application personally for him as he comes on as an elder here at Edgewood. All right, so, so when we get into the passage, the, I'm gonna, there are a number of things that we could point out. And by the way, let me say up front, Titus 1 is not the only place where elders are discussed. The other place that is very closely related to Titus 1, 5 through 9 is in 1 Timothy chapter 3. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter also talks about the nature and role of elders. And then you have other mentions uh, by way of just faithfully recording the story of the establishment and growth of the church in Acts. Uh, Luke, for example, makes a point to say that one of the things that Paul did consistently as new Christian communities cropped up 
and organized together, gathered together as a church, that one of the things that Paul did as a regular habit was to appoint elders for every single church. So it's in that vein that I want to make a a general observation before we go to three more specific observations. One, consider the importance and the necessity of elders in the life of a local church body. Look at the way that Paul begins the paragraph in verse 5 when he's talking with Titus. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. So here's the picture. At at some time, in, in some way, Paul apparently has done ministry on this Mediterranean Isle of Crete. He has to leave. We don't know why. We don't really have an account or record of this in Acts. But the work on the island of Crete for the churches there has not been completed. It's not finished. And because the work is not done, even though Paul has to go somewhere else, Paul leaves it to Titus as perhaps his right-hand man or his representative on the island to finish the work that still remains to be done. Now, that being said, we don't know what Paul means exhaustively when he says, set in order the things that remain. What is that? We, we don't really know. Titus, I'm sure, understood exactly what Paul was talking about because they were working together. I'm sure they discussed the way that the gospel was spreading on the island and what the churches needed at that particular point in time. So, but, so while we don't necessarily know all of the things that Paul was leaving Titus to do to finish things up on that island, we do know that the one thing that Paul thought was important enough to name specifically was establishing elders. Titus, there are things that we were not able to finish that need to be done in order for these churches to be firmly established, and to be set up for their health in the long run. Do all of the things that need to be done, but the one thing that Paul names that he singles out is, you need to make sure that these churches have elders. The point then for a church like Edgewood is to say this, on the one hand, we ought to say right out of the gate that when we, have, when we appoint elders here at Edgewood, this is not just some crazy idea or new form or new fad that we're wanting to follow because this just seems like the good thing to do. Rather, we're looking back and we're seeing that both in Acts, in 1 Timothy, in Titus, in 1 Peter, and elsewhere in the church, that the first generation of Christians, the church, when it started, was marked and distinguished by the fact that it was led by a group, a plurality of elders. That was what the apostles did when they were establishing and building up churches. This is not new what we are doing today. This actually goes back to the birth of the church. Second, we, sh- we ought to say 
that not only is this not something new that we're doing, but something that the church did from the beginning with the expectation that that's what the church would continue to do generation to generation to generation. Because Paul and the other apostles saw this as being of critical importance to the church, we ought to consider that having a healthy, thriving elder ministry at Edgewood is necessary if we want this church to be healthy. Right? That does not mean, don't misunderstand, that as long as you tack on the title of elder to a handful of guys, that things are just magically going to work themselves out in any kind of dilemma or problem or challenge that the church faces. It's not a magic cure. We'll talk about in a minute. Elders are not men who are perfect. They are fallen, redeemed sinners like everyone else. Nevertheless, God in His wisdom and by His Spirit builds up and equips men to serve His church for the health and the longevity of the church. And if you are here as a member of Edgewood and you want to see Edgewood thrive, and if you want to see Edgewood last beyond this year and the next year, and even beyond this generation to another generation to come, you should be very desirous and eager that there is a healthy, active, mature, body of elders leading and serving this congregation. So, that being said as a preface as to the importance and the necessity of elders functioning in the life of a church body, let me just draw your attention to three things that Paul says when he's talking with Titus about pointing or installing these elders in the position or in the office that they are to exercise on behalf of the congregation. And I'll do this in three ways. This is not exhaustive in any way. There is much more that could be said just from this Titus passage alone, much less what we find in Acts and Timothy and 1 Peter. But I'm going to, for the sake of time, I'm going to try to narrow it down to making three observations. One, I want to say something about the character of the person who serves as an elder. All right, I want to look and, and take note of what Paul says about the person. Number two, we need to make an observation about the nature of the position. What is it that a person does? How do they function when they fill the office of elder? And then number three, closely related to that, what does Paul seem to indicate is the primary task of an elder? There are many things that an elder can and will do, but Paul prioritizes the work of an elder in a very unique way. So we want to look at the person, we want to look at the position, and we, we want to look at the priority of the work. So number one, if you were following along when we read in this paragraph of Titus 5 through 9, one of the things that ought to stand out to us is that Paul says little to almost nothing about what the elder is, what the man, I'm sorry, what the man does, but rather what the man is. All right, since I butchered that, let me back up. 
Paul spills more ink talking about who the man is rather than what the man does. Is that clear? Okay. So when you go through here, what you notice as you read back through is that Paul puts most of the emphasis on the character of the man who's going to be appointed to this office. Not his spiritual gifts, his competency, his hobbies, his personality. He doesn't do that. Those things are important. Those things even can find a way to serve the church. But first and foremost, Paul, I think, makes it abundantly clear that it does not matter how skilled or likable or winsome a person is if by his character and nature he is not exhibiting Christ-like qualities, he is not fit to serve as an elder. And so he gives both things that an elder ought not to be and things that an elder should be. I'm not going to run through that list. What I want to do, though, is take a note at the, what seems to be the overarching characteristic that Paul lays out for an elder, and he repeats it twice in verses 6 and 7. He says in verse 6, if any man is, New American Standard says, above reproach. Some of your other versions may say something like blameless. If any man is above reproach or blameless. And then he says it again in verse 7, for the overseer must be above reproach. This does not mean that a person who serves as an elder has to be sinless. This does not mean that a person who serves as an elder has to be perfect. They are not, they will not be until they are face to face with Christ, just like you and just like every other Christian. What it does mean to say that an elder needs to be above reproach or needs to be blameless is that in a general sort of way, there is no charge or criticism that you can bring to bear on this elder that does not have a satisfactory answer. In other words, he is not in anyone's debt because of sinning against them, or he does not have any significant character flaws or sin that he is not repented of. He is not a slave to sin. He's growing in Christ-likeness and in maturity. Do you, you get the idea? So as far as his standing with the Lord is concerned, he is seeking to make every aspect of his life fall in line with Christ-like character. That means the way that he is as a man in the house, at home, and that also deals with the way that he conducts himself in public. Both in private and in public, there ought not to be any surprising or disturbing accusation that could be brought against this man, because yes, although he will sin, he is someone who quickly repents and strives for holiness. This is what you want, Edgewood, in your elders. You don't need someone who's going to be the life of the party. You don't need someone who shares your hobbies. 
You don't need someone who cheers for your favorite football team. You need godly men. And my, my challenge to you is that having gone through the gauntlet, so to speak, of sitting in with the elders, of fielding questions, of us examining you and your character, of your, uh, your faith and your consistency lived out over several many years now here at Edgewood, my challenge and encouragement to you is not to lose sight of the fact that although these qualities and characteristics are the measure by which you are evaluated, once you step into the office and you take on this role, it does not mean that you have passed the test and now you can breathe a sigh of relief. Rather, as Paul says, these qualities ought to be yours and ought to be increasing. My desire, my prayer for you, as with any other leader in this church, is that a year down the road, people would be able to look at your life and look at your ministry here at Edgewood and say, I can see real growth and maturity in Maldonado. They may even say that with stunned, shocked disbelief, but they need to be able to say it. I see growth and maturity in Mike. What this church needs from you more than anything else is your holiness. Not your skills, not your personality. They need your godliness and your desire for holiness. And those are the things that are going to not only keep you a qualified elder, they're going to fuel you in the years to come. Number two, the position of an elder. There are a couple terms that are used just in this paragraph about who or what an elder is in terms of the responsibility or the role that he has. So, for example, Paul says in verse 7 that the overseer must be above reproach. So, he starts off talking to Titus about elders, and instead of saying, for the elder must be above reproach, he says, for the overseer must be above reproach, which is an indication that for Paul... Elder and overseer are one and the same person. The overseer is just a more descriptive term for what an elder does. He watches over the church. There's a lot that we could say about that, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put attention on the next little subtle descriptive in verse 7 where Paul says, the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward. A steward... Back in New Testament times, we would, we would call or give the title something like a manager, right? A steward was someone who worked for a business owner or the head of a family to do necessary work for the man who owned the business or who was the, the head of the family. You, you worked for him for the good and for the thriving of his business or for his family, Taking that analogy of what it means to be a steward, the thing that Edgewood needs to recognize and understand is that elders are not owners of the church. They are not even shareholders in the church. Elders do not own anything. God bought and owns this church. Christ bought this church with his own blood, as Paul said to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. 
Elders are appointed here not so that they can say, well, this is now my ship and I'm going to run it the way that I'd like. Elders are appointed so that they can look after and care for the church body, notice, as a manager, which means that they ought to be watching over and caring for this church in the way that the owner directs them, not according to their personal whim or their personal preferences. Mike, this is both freeing and frustrating. It's freeing because, as an elder, you will join a group of men who are watching after, who are caring for the body, and from time to time, don't be too shocked, people will not always agree with your decisions. There needs to be on the point of an elder individually and elders as a group, a sense in which any elder serving in a church body is willing to say, I'll take whatever arrows come my way, I'll take whatever lumps because God is my witness, I believe with a clear conscience that we are following the Lord's direction to do what He says ought to be done for His church. It's freeing in that it gives you a release from the fear of man. You're not trying to impress. You are not trying to win favor. You are not trying to score points with the family. You are trying to please and honor the one who heads this family and the one who owns this church. That is freeing. It's frustrating, though, not only because sometimes it is thankless work or it can be difficult, but it's frustrating more often than not because that also means that in the same way you're not trying to serve primarily the interests of others according to their personal whims, it also means that you have to sacrifice your own personal whims. That there will be decisions and ways that you serve this body that will not necessarily be most natural to you or that you will not necessarily be extremely comfortable with. It will force you to do things and to serve in ways that seem to run against the grain. What are you going to do? You're just a manager. You don't own anything. God gives you the direction. God is the one that you give answer to an account. It makes little to no difference what your personal preference or whims may be. You serve Him for the good of this body. And then third, the primary task. That tends to shine through more so at the end of this little paragraph where after going through a list of character qualities of what an elder ought not to be and what an elder should be, Paul says in verse 9 that an elder ought to be holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Let me sum it up. I think that for Paul, both here and in 1 Timothy and elsewhere, I think that what Paul would say if you asked him, what is the most important 
job or duty or responsibility of an elder, I think Paul would say the most important thing that they do in their service to the body is they minister the Word of God. Because there is only one chief shepherd and any elder serves as an under-shepherd, it is the owner of the flock, it's the chief shepherd who determines what his flock needs most. And if you think back, for example, to Jesus talking with Peter on the beach, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. What does Jesus say? Feed my sheep. The second time, he tells Peter, tend to my sheep. And the third time, he says again, feed my sheep. I don't think it's accidental that in the instruction that Jesus gives to Peter and in what we see Paul talking about here, that the primary responsibility of an elder is to make sure that a congregation, that a local church body is feeding well on God's Word because that is our life. You create whatever programs you want you design whatever kind of new effort or endeavor or emphasis if you want, if you are not seeing to it that the church is feeding consistently on the riches of God's Word, a church will wither even though it may look to the natural eye like it's thriving. This does not mean, by the way, that in order for an elder to be fulfilling his responsibility well, that ministering the Word to the body is going to take the shape of a public preaching or teaching ministry. So, for example, we're going to install Mike today. Mike is not going to be preaching the sermon next week. That's not because Mike doesn't care to be a faithful elder. Rather, what it means is that as the Lord builds His group of elders together that whereas they all want to see and make sure that the church is being well-fed on the Scriptures, there are different ways according to the ways that God has equipped and skilled them that they will go about seeing to it that that happens. So one elder may have the responsibility of standing before the congregation as a whole on a Sunday morning and preaching and teaching from God's Word. Another elder may do that same kind of work, but do it in personal one-on-one -on -one conversations and interactions. Edgewood, what you want, you want to see your elders be men who are more and more shaped and saturated by the Word of God. You want them to grow in their love of the Scriptures and grow in their love of the Scriptures in such a way that it begins to ooze out of their pores as they minister and serve to you. Right? The idea is that if you were to go and you were to approach an elder, whether it would be with a group of people or one-on-one, -on -one, okay, even if I'm looking for some guidance or some counsel, even if I don't agree with what it is that Mike were to tell me or what Merritt were to tell me or anyone else, at the very least, I'm confident of this, they are working through the Scriptures 
in order to arrive at their counsel and their instruction. Their word of encouragement to me or their word of warning or correction is being motivated by what they see and understand to be revealed, not in their minds as it comes to them, but revealed in the Word of God. That's what you want. By the way, what, one thing that you can do, I'll say this in the hearing of everyone, right? Poke and provoke and prod your elders. Every now and again, ask them, what are you learning? What are you reading these days? Those are good questions to ask. Okay? Mike. As an elder, you need to be someone who is utterly convinced that no matter what popular sentiment says, no matter what the culture outside or even the church culture inside these doors has to say, you are utterly convinced and committed that there is convinced and confident that there is nothing better that you can give to any member of this church than a word from the Lord, either pointing them to the Scriptures or reading Scriptures with them, you yourself having your mind renewed and refined every day because of your time personally in the Word, you growing in your understanding, not just of what a simple verse or a text means, but the way that the Scriptures themselves are put together so that you can encourage and motivate the rest of the body to grow in that same kind of maturity and love for God's Word because that is going to be the lifeblood of your ministry as an elder here, and it is going to be the lifeblood of this church. It has to be. So this is, this is significant. This is important, what we're doing today. This is for the health of Edgewood Baptist Church. This is not only for the health of Edgewood Baptist Church. This is a sign, this is an indication, we, we believe, by faith, that God is demonstrating to us His faithfulness to give to us what it is that we need for life and godliness as a body of believers together. We need qualified, competent men to serve as shepherds of this body, not because we need taskmasters, not because we need someone who's going to be all up in our business telling us how to dress or what to eat or what to watch or anything, but we need men who are going to encourage and pray and even at times correct us to keep us on the path that the Lord has for us as we walk in the light of His Word. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your goodness to us. Thank you for the mercy of giving us men to shepherd your church for your glory and for our joy. We ask that Edgewood as a body, that our hearts and minds would be in tune to the way that you have organized your body and put it together, that we would seek to thrive and be healthy according to the priorities and the prescriptions that you have laid out for us. And we do this by faith, 
not in any confidence of our work or our, our ability, but trusting that as we're faithful to what you have revealed in Scripture, that you will be faithful to provide the fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask Mike if he'll come down with his family. So that would be Mike and his wife Angie, Maddie, and Miranda and her husband Jacob. And then any of the other elders or deacons or pastors that we have here, if you would come down, y'all can just stand in front right here. If y'all would come down and just gather around them, Alan is going to offer an ordination prayer here in just a moment. Alan, I'll give it to you. Lord, we just want to thank you for the gift that you've given us in the person of Mike Maldonado as an elder in our body. Lord, I praise you for marking him out, Lord, with those characteristics that are characteristic of a man who seeks this position. Father, I pray that you would be a prayer, be a uh, protection over his family, uh, both Angie and the girls, Lord, and everybody associated with Mike. Lord, I pray that you give him the mind of Christ. Lord, he's just begun this journey today, and he will need that every day from here on out. Father, we just ask you to bond him with this body in a special way in this new position and be his refreshment each and every day as he goes through. There'll be rewards that are unspeakable, and Lord, there'll be challenges that are, that are daunting. But Lord, you are our fuel. You are our ability to defeat these things. The Word of God is important in doing that. I pray that you knit us together as a body of elders, and Lord, Give us special wisdom. I pray protection. Other daunting threats that he's not seen before. And Lord, I just your provision for him and our body continually live every day, Lord, and, and pray your protection on him, he and his entire family. Father, we just thank you again for your gift to the church. We thank you for blessing us so richly, and we pray your great rewards on Mike in Christ. Pray, pray amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Express your appreciation for Mike and his family. Uh, Mike and Angie, if y'all don't mind heading out towards the back, I'll meet you in the back in just a second. Y'all can stand with me at the door so that you can greet our newest elder on your way out. This means that uh, our next elders meeting this week, that Mike will be there. So you can pray for him because he is only just now beginning to understand what it is that he has signed up for. It is a daunting and trying task. To meet with some of these individuals, not not because of me, but because of others that make life <laughs> make life difficult. Uh, so here's the other thing: one of the ways that we uh, we want to stoke and encourage Edgewood's uh, love and desire to see our elder body grow is by ending the service early on the Sundays that we appoint an elder. So you begin to say, "Oh." 
If we appoint an elder, that means we get out 10 minutes early. Oh, Lord, raise up more elders. No, okay. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're, I'm about to dismiss you. Let me just give you a couple, couple brief reminders. One, um, I forgot what the one was. <laughs> I remember the second one. Oh, I know, I'm sorry. I know what it was. Yeah, the, uh, first, next Sunday, we'll be, uh, we'll be back to our Genesis series. So we'll be uh, picking back up in the life of uh, Jacob, I think. We'll, I'm not sure if we'll be in 26 or 27. I'm still trying to decide. Uh, also, uh, don't forget, graduates, if uh, you're interested in being recognized, please call the church office and let, uh, let Patty know. Uh, second, don't forget that not next Sunday, but the Sunday after, so June 6th, will be the Sunday that we'll have JT here with the church body to preach in the morning service and then to, uh, to stand in for a time of uh, Q&A and a member meeting later on that evening. So even now, as you plan to attend that service, do make it a matter of prayer. All right, really and truly, for the church, for JT, for Winbrook, obviously, they, uh, if this is the transition that happens, that means that there's a significant transition that Winbrook, a sister church here in town, will be experiencing as well. And we want to we wanna pray for God to be good and kind and providing for their needs as well, okay? So count to 10 before you start to get up. That will give me a chance to get out through the pew and to the door, starting... Now, thank you, Chris. <laughs>